Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And third and finally, and you're seeing it in Washington, D.C., Israel will lose capacity, resources, and support from not only the United States, but other allies around the world. So it's a losing proposition for Israel at every level, but particularly strategically. So that's James Stravitas. Uh, He used to run NATO back in the day. He's a regular on MSNBC talking about how Israel is losing and is going to lose more world support as they continue this war on Hamas, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or right or wrong. Let's hear more from him. Clip 46, please, Michael. You gather growing condemnation of Israel against all the actors in the region. Look at what's happening at sea. Tankers being seized, missiles fired at ships all over the Red Sea. And by the way, uh, 15, 20% of the world's shipping passes through there. That's happening because of the Israeli indiscriminate campaign against civilians, Houthi rebels, all creatures of Iran. It puts airspeed behind them. Well, that's interesting that it seems like a bit of a change of tone on MSNBC from where they were a couple of weeks ago. I did hear that if this continues, uh, we are going to start seeing supply chain problems like we did during COVID. There is so much shipping that goes through that area of the world there that is being disrupted by the war that, you know, we're going to start seeing bare shelves with this or that. Um. To that, and I know I don't know what the sweet spot is on this. Is as we've said from the beginning, at every point in history, for every country on planet Earth, if something like October seventh happened, you would wipe that entity, whoever they are, off the face of the planet, and that is what Israel is attempting to do. How good a job they're doing of 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 taking out Hamas 
how careful they're being. All I know is the reports I read just like you. Let me read this from the New York Times before we get to some of the polling on this. And Biden is really suffering in the polls on this particular issue. This is a New York Times poll out. Voters broadly disapprove of the way President Biden is handling the bloody strife between Israel and the Palestinians. A New York Times Siena College poll is found with younger Americans far more critical than older voters of both Israel's conduct and the administration's response to the war in Gaza. Voters are also sending decidedly mixed signals about the direction U.S. policymaking should take as the war in Gaza grinds into its third month, with with Israelis still reeling from the October 7th terrorist attack. Nearly as many Americans want Israel to continue its military campaign as want it to stop now to avoid further civilian casualties. So it's almost 50-50 on whether Israel should continue or stop. But it's going the wrong direction for Israel. I mean, it's going the wrong direction in my mind. Maybe you disagree. That split appears to leave the president with few politically palatable options. Let me get into some of the actual numbers. Overall, do you approve of President Biden's handling of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Only 33% approval on that now. Disapprove 57 Now, with that disapproval, you've got a big chunk of younger people that hate the fact that the Biden administration is supporting the colonizer Israel at all. But some of the disapproval might also be people who are hardcore pro-Israel and think it's just not enough. The fact that they're lecturing Israel and telling them to be more careful causes you disapproval. So you end up with a total disapproval of dang near 60%. Then this question... Who do you trust to do a better job on the Israeli-Palestine conflict? Biden or Trump? Trump wins 46-38. 46-38. Yet another major in-the-news issue in which Trump wins by quite quite a bit. Is the dispute between Israel and the Palestinians, which side do you sympathize with more? Which side do you sympathize with more? For all groups, almost half Israel, 20% Palestinians, 13% both, and then a chunk don't know. But between the Israeli between Israel and the Palestinians, it's 47-20. Well more than double, if you can do simple math, support for Israel. When you break it down by age, it flips on its head for the younger crowd, under 30, it's 46-27 Palestine. Then for all other age groups above the young crowd, which learned everything that they know about this in high school and college and were taught by professors that talk all that colonialism talk and uh, victim aggressor stuff and all that sort of thing. So the younger crowd overwhelmingly support Palestine. You get to age 30 and up and it becomes, uh, no, I'm all about Israel, especially the older groups. Actually, e- even 45 and up, it's it's 60-13, 63-11, depending on which group you're talking about for the older crowd. So it's not even close. If you want to break it down by Democrats only, split pretty much in half. A third on the right, third on the left. Well, right and left isn't the right way to break this down. A third Palestine, a third Israel, and then a big chunk of don't know are in the middle. Independents lead toward Israel. Republicans overwhelmingly lead toward Israel. If you want to break it down by race, white people overwhelmingly lead toward Israel. Hispanic, quite solidly, by double digits, support Israel. 
black voters almost split a little more Palestine than Israel. I'm interested in this for two reasons. One, the election and how the Biden administration is going to be affected by this story. Uh, whether or not this story plays any role. I wanted to ask Lon He Chen about that. Does he think this story or Ukraine will be a voting issue come next November? I'm not sure either will be. Certainly not to the level of the economy or immigration. But for Joe Biden right now and his low approval ratings, a Monmouth poll came out this morning. He's at 34%, so yet another poll where he's in the low 30s. Uh, so those are clearly not outliers. That's that's where he is, and a lot of it is people's attitudes toward uh, the way they're handling Israel currently. I don't know if that moves them. Like I said, a lot of that disapproval might be split between people who want him to do more and people who want him to do less, so I don't know how you fix that whole situation. I think that one of the problems, I think, is his rhetoric doesn't match the rhetoric of most of his surrogates. So you've got the SecDef and the Secretary of State constantly with the Israel needs to be more careful, more surgical, and President Biden talking a lot tougher. And maybe that disconnect makes people not have faith in where he's going with any of this. And these are some weird times. And again, Trump easily double digits ahead of Biden in terms of who voters think would be better to handle the war between Israel and Hamas. What a weird year this is going to be politics-wise. If there's not a black swan event or some, you know, I wouldn't call a terrorist attack a black swan event because you got people pouring across the border and a whole bunch of entities out there vowing to attack us or kill us. So it wouldn't be like, Oh, my God, I can't believe that happened if there's a terrorist attack. But if there's some not scheduled giant event without that, I don't see how Biden doesn't lose to Trump. I mean, I really don't. Anyway, we got more stuff of a different flavor on the way that I want to get into. We really should get the worst Christmas song we've ever heard. We just became aware of this yesterday. Justin Bieber's Little Drummer Boy Little Drummer Boy is an abomination. The Pope should weigh in on this as a Christmas song. If you haven't heard it, we've got that coming up in a little bit. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, get this, I heard about a woman in Cincinnati who just celebrated her 105th birthday by watching by watching football and drinking Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. Whoa! Wow! 105! Happy birthday. Football and Fireball. Her doctor isn't happy about the booze, but I, he died 40 years ago. So, anyway. Yep, she spent her 105th birthday drinking Fireball and watching football. Biden heard and was like, kids these days love to party. Yeah, they love to party. Joe Biden's old, you see. Uh, a couple of quick things on polling, and then we'll get to Kitty's headlines. One, it is becoming completely clear if you look at the polling over the last year. When Trump started getting indicted, his numbers shot up and have stayed up. So the effort to bring Trump down is what launched him up to the stratospheric numbers. All right. So uh, those were not your intentions. I'm sure those of you who tried to get those court cases going and this, the approval rating I mentioned for Joe Biden, this New York Times poll that's out today, he's at 34 percent. Kamala Harris is at 35 percent to Lon He Chen's point earlier when we were talking about that. It's not like you can have Joe Biden step down and have her step in. They're both in the low 30s. And I I think if she was the nominee and started talking more, she'd go down from there. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's get to Green's Things, Katie's Corner. Katie, the news lady with the headlines. You've gone completely rogue with Joe gone, Jack. I love it. Yes, I have. All right, from CNN, gas, drones, and convict recruits. Ukrainian soldiers describe Russia's deadly surge on the front lines. Yeah, so we're finding out that a lot of these... Russian soldiers are super drugged up. Yeah, they actually have footage of a guy. He's laying in a ditch and his legs are completely severed and he's smiling. Yeah, he said he was so high he couldn't feel it. It's really the history of warfare going way, way back. Um, some of the most famous battles we now know that most of the people were hammered drunk. That's how you get yourself in a state where you can go out there and start swinging swords at each other. Hitler did it. They were all on meth. That's how they rolled across Europe and stayed up all night long and nobody could keep up with them. They were on meth and and Putin's doing the same thing. From Politico, U.S. says it will run out of funds for Ukraine this month. Yeah. A, A lot of the smart pundits think the pressure is going to cause a diamond to come out. There will be legislation on Israel, Ukraine, and the border, but there's also a good chance it doesn't happen. From the New York Times, militia attacks in Red Sea disrupts world shipping map. That's what I talked about a little bit bit ago. We are going to start to see supply chain problems like we saw during COVID. Not to the same level, but a lot of world shipping goes through that area and it's getting disrupted bad. 
This one from the Washington Times. Pentagon urged to send Taiwan truck-launched anti-ship missiles and long-range guided bombs. They're saying that the Pentagon must rapidly convert existing missiles and bombs into new weapons that can effectively counter growing threats of a Chinese attack on Taiwan. Oh, boy. Things are getting serious over there. From Fox News. Buses respond to Chicago's new penalties and restrictions by dropping migrants off in secret locations. Oh, boy. Well, enjoy being a sanctuary city. Yeah, how's that working out for you? From the Wall Street Journal, hemp gummies are sending hundreds of kids to hospitals. Oh, so, like, I assume parents are buying them and kids get into them? Well, yeah. Have you seen the packaging on these things? I mean, it's amazingly close to regular brands of candy. Well, why do they make it look like regular candy? I mean, what's the point? I mean, Mark- d- you, you pot fiends are going to buy them whether they're packaged like children's candy or not, I assume. That's so, uh, wh- why do you have to do that? You know, man, and if you if you got the pot candy as a uh, deranged drug fiend, why uh, keep it up somewhere where the kids can't get their hands on it, for crying out loud. From page six. Guy Fieri refuses to leave sons any money unless they get two degrees. Quote, they will have to take it from me. Interesting. Even your modern degrees from, you know, some sort of cultural studies from a half-assed university where they give you an A for everything. Okay, fine, whatever. Apparently he quoted Shaq, who is known for saying, if you want this cheese, you got to get two degrees. Ah, okay. Yeah, it used to be true. I don't. I think the tide is turning on that, as we've talked about a lot. And finally, from the Babylon Bee, man longs for the good old days when he could go online without seeing gay capital sex tape. <laughs> yeah, no and kidding. And so do I, man. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too prevalent. It's too everywhere right now. That's something I wanted to bring up. What was it? That time you just sparked. I'm having an old man moment again. You mm. sparked something there with the news. It'll pop back into my head. I'm doing this for two more days. Uh, we'll get to this. Tim Sandifer turned us on to what he said was the worst Christmas song of all time. And I thought, okay, I've heard a lot of bad Christmas songs. This is Justin Bieber, who is a devout Christian with a pretty Christian song, Little Drummer Boy. But this is his version of it. We won't play the whole thing. We're not going to do that to you. But here's what it sounds like. sounds like a little girl in this. <laughs> yeah, I think he was probably really young when he put this out, and he was just trying really hard, and it was aimed at, like, 11-year-old girls. So, you know, I'm not an 11-year-old girl, so that's I'm not the right audience to uh, ascertain whether it's good or not, right? That's you've, ju- t- you've titled it properly. It is the worst. That is uh, always Joe's thing. You got to look at the, the lot of art as who it's intended to. You can't you can't watch a kid's mute movie and complain that it's not Citizen Kane. It was, it was made for, you know, six-year-olds. So, you get it? Understand? Okay, cool. Coming up, we're going to talk to 
somebody, I hope, from Center from, is it Center or Centers? I never know if it's a Center or Centers. I think it's Center for Immigration Control about the border in which they had another record-setting day yesterday. Everybody put their hands together. Nice job. You set another record. The border is secure. Uh, so we'll talk to them about that and see what's going on. Kay brought us a story yesterday that Apple has to stop selling some of their most demanded popular Apple watches. I didn't look into the why on this. It's in violation of some trade agreement or something. Something that ain't working right. But they can't sell the Ultra and they can't sell the Apple Watch 9. That's that's a huge blow for Apple. I mean, that was going to be under a lot of Christmas trees. Right the last week of Christmas, easy thing to order and buy, last minute and that sort of thing, and they can't sell those. Huge deal. I'm guessing gazillions of dollars that aren't going to change hands. We'll check in on the border. Another record in just a moment. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Inaction has decimated America. With the stroke of a pen, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into law what the ACLU dubs one of the most radical anti-immigrant bills ever passed by any state. Senate Bill 4 is now law in the state of Texas. SB4 creates a new state crime for illegal entry into Texas, gives local police the power to arrest, and judges the power to remove violators. But the problem is far more than just numbers. Well, it sounds dramatic to say the strictest laws ever passed by any state. Well, states aren't supposed to pass laws about a federal issue 
like illegal immigration. But the point is, the federal government is doing nothing about it, so I guess we'll try. And as we talked about earlier in the show with Tim the Lawyer, Tim Sandifer, you know, this will probably get hung up in the courts, but there is a chance that the Supreme Court says the federal government is actually not addressing something they're supposed to address, and so we'll let the states do it. There's a possibility that could happen. By the way, something. Back on December 5th, two weeks ago, 12,000 migrants were encountered at our border. I don't know who decided to use this language, migrants encountered. Illegals crossed most of the time getting in and staying here. 12,000, that was the highest ever in a single day. A record back on December 5th. Two weeks later, yesterday, 14,000 encountered at the border. A new record, everybody. Nice job. Setting new records regularly for illegal immigration. Unbelievable. As we often do whenever we're talking about this topic, we turn to the Center for Immigration Studies and a variety of people we've talked to over the years. And today we're going to talk to Stephen Camerata, lead author of a report saying the majority of immigrant households use welfare. I would like to know more about that. Stephen, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about uh, who use Because one of the arguments... Well, there, there are two arguments. Uh, one of the arguments for closing down the borders is that the people come across and they uh, they drain our resources and cost taxpayer money, taxpayers money. Then colleges come out with these sophisticated studies and say, no, they actually contribute to the economy more than they take. So what have you found? Yeah, so, okay, uh, a lot of times people say different terminologies. A couple of things. Um When we talk about immigrants overall in this data, uh, the first number, 54% of all immigrant households use one of the major welfare programs. A lot of it is the non-cash programs like food stamps and public housing and the earned income tax credit and all that sort of stuff. Um, So when we're talking about that, we look at the fiscal impact of immigrants on the United States, all the taxes they pay and all the services they use, that looks to be negative. One of the things you have to decide, though, on that, just methodologically, is what do you do with children? Um, So a person has a child who's enrolled in school, and that child's on Medicaid, and that child is receiving free lunches or is on the WIC program or what have you. Um, How do you count that since the child was born here? Uh. If you want to make the immigrants not seem like they're a fiscal burden, you just exclude all that. And you say, none of that matters, yes. The parent is not able to provide for the child, so the child technically is getting the food stamps. The child is on Medicaid. Right. The child gets WIC, but none of that, that's all counted for native expenses because the child was born here. If you count the children of immigrants with the young children, their dependent children, if you will, with the immigrants themselves, you usually end up with a negative number. That doesn't mean that the children will not grow up and be... Um, uh, at least average. That doesn't mean that, but it means right now and for the foreseeable future, the immigrants and their kids are net fiscal drain. Now, one other point, if you want to go a little deeper, I'll just please, because they, we live in a society that's unwilling to tax itself for all the things that we want mm-hmm. and that we borrow so much money, that's also another factor to consider is that the average person is basically in fiscal deficit because we're not willing to raise taxes to pay for all the stuff we want to give out at the federal level. At the state level, where you have to have balanced budgets, 
Uh, whenever you do a calculation, immigrants are unambiguously a fiscal drain, paying less in taxes than they use in services if you count the kids. Now, on the final point, the economics, which I won't go much into, there's no question that uh, the U.S. economy is hundreds of billions of dollars, actually well more than a trillion dollars larger than it otherwise would be because we have so many more people in the country. Whether that is a benefit to the native-born, whether that increases the per capita GDP in the United States, totally different questions. But there's no question more people means a bigger economy, more economic activity, more laborers, more consumers. That doesn't mean you're richer, because if all that mattered was the aggregate size of the economy, well, then people would say that Bangladesh is much richer than New Zealand, because it is, its economy is much larger. Right. But of course, what matters is per capita. When we look at per capita GDP or per capita income, it doesn't seem that the native-born population benefits very much from the immigrant ah. But the immigrants do benefit, and that's something to consider. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, that was a great lesson the last few minutes in the great Mark Twain quote of the three kinds of lies. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. (laughs) I mean, because obviously you can use a lot of those statistics to make arguments whatever direction you want to make. But that's really interesting stuff. Well done. Um, And I also think... I don't know how much of it is when you when you see people's reaction to immigration, and I don't know how much you want to differentiate between legal immigration and illegal immigration. Obviously, we got a ton of illegal immigration going on right now. But I think people see, you know, in their schools, you got a bunch of people that don't speak English, and their schools struggling to deal with it. Your ER is the regular hospital for a lot of people who are here who don't have any sort of. Uh, healthcare or insurance, anything like that, and clogs. I mean, there's a lot of gumming up the works of systems that weren't designed for this. Isn't that where a lot of people's attitudes come from, do you think? Sure, sure. I mean, people don't know the statistics. Here's what you get. Again, you get 54% from the survey of income and program participation shows of immigrant households using one or more welfare programs. We estimate that it's 59% for illegals, but 52% for legal immigrants. I was going to ask that, yeah. Yeah, both are very high, and the illegals can, like, receive more, receive, uh, use more programs, but the legals can use programs that get more benefits, so it's a little bit complicated. But the short answer is they're both really high. Let me, let me tell your listeners this, though, so that they don't have to leave with that. The rate for the native-born is 39%. Yes, that's right. It's extremely common in America for the native-born population. And, and you don't want to know what it is in California? I mean, in California, it's, it's even higher. It's 41% for native-born households use one or more of the welfare programs. And even if you say, you know, you might say, well, which programs? Can you exclude some and get a difference? Yeah, you can exclude the free school lunches and breakfasts. But you still get 35%. And in California, you still get 53% for the immigrants. You still get, uh, for the illegal immigrants, you get 56%. And for the legal immigrants in California, excluding the free school lunch program, you still get 53%. No one program drives the numbers. They're just using a lot of programs across the board. And again, native welfare use is very high, and immigrants is higher still. And California kind of is the tops. They're the most, one of the most generous states. Um, now, the, Generous. The is, I like the word generous. Yes, they're generous. Right? Well, <laughs> I'm glad well, I'm being so generous. I didn't realize yeah, I had a choice. 
That's right. You're being generous. Um, the other thing to remember is people say, well, yeah, but wait, how can the illegal immigrants get so much? The short answer is, I can run through it quick. It's the U.S. born children. They can receive anything. Also, not all programs are barred, like free school, lunch, and WIC. Anyone can receive those programs. Um, also, a number of states, including California, provide Medicaid even to illegal adults. And of course, all their U.S. born children could get it. And there are other states that provide the food stamps. Um, also, because we give out, I know this sounds shocking to people, we could explain it, we give out work authorization to illegal immigrants. So they're technically illegally in the United States. They're called inadmissible aliens, if you want to know the term. But we've given them social security numbers so they can work. But this allows them to access cash benefits from the earned income tax credit. You don't pay any federal income tax if your income's low enough and you get sometimes a check for four or $5,000 from the government. And yes, illegal immigrants can and do get that check because they have the work authorization. You know, they're, they're just, okay, so they're just so you understand that that happens. Now, that's not all illegal immigrants. Don't get me wrong. Sure. That's what happens. Well, and just to make it clear, I mean, we always say this. I don't begrudge anybody doing this. Man, if, if, you, if you knew you could get in and have a kid in the United States and what the path that's going to set them on, I, hell yeah, I would do that. Um, right. And, and look, the other that's right. Look. We have no evidence that's probably happening, but that's not what drives the numbers. No evidence this is fraud. And let me tell you something else. 83% of immigrant households have at least one worker. 94% of illegal, immigra- of illegal immigrants, it's 83 for all immigrant households, and it's 94% for illegal immigrant households have at least one worker. The comparison with the native-borns is 73%. Whoa. But work... Yeah, work and welfare go together just fine. All the programs we've been discussing, you can get the earned, well, the earned income tax credit is for workers, but you can get WIC and free school lunch and live in public housing and be on Medicaid uh, and many other things, even if you work, but if your income is low enough. So if you're like a family of four and you make less than 40000 a year, most welfare programs are, uh, are open to you. And in California in specific, the, the income thresholds tend to be high, so they tend to give you a lot, and, and, and you're eligible for just about everything. Uh, other states like Texas or Florida are more restrictive, but still, you can get lots of programs. Work does not in any way preclude welfare use. If you had to put this whole phenomenon in a bumper sticker when it comes to immigrant workers, it's there's a high cost to cheap labor. But it's borne by taxpayers. The costs are diffuse. They're borne by everyone, whereas the employer and maybe the consumer who's using the services, they get the benefit, but everyone has to pay. So, and that, no, go ahead. so you get your lawn mowed for what you feel like is a really great price or house cleaned or whatever, but your taxes are, go, are so high. Right. I, mean, I think that's, that's the way to think about it. Exactly. And, and so the short answer is, okay, but maybe we need these workers. But I would add one other thing, and that is that one of the things that's happening in America, one of the most troubling trends, is all the U.S.-born people of all races, black, Hispanic, and white, we've seen this phenomenon, um, sitting on the economic sidelines. That is, they neither work... Yep nor do they look for work, which means every unemployment number you see does not include right. them. So let me give you just one example. If we look at men who have only a high school education or less, in 1960, only seven of them were entirely out of the labor market, neither working 
nor looking for men, looking for work. Today, it's 25%. So we have a new, millions of less educated Americans sitting on the sidelines. So if we really do need workers, my solution is that it would make more sense to let wages rise and help the working poor, and this would help attract Americans who are sitting on the sidelines back. But you'd probably need to reform the welfare system and especially the disability system. Yeah, Without a long right. explanation, a lot of these numbers reflect what happened is we reformed welfare and everyone just went on disability. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. a, that's a gross gross oversimplification. Hey, this is talk but radio. That, that's what we do. Um, yeah, I've got to interrupt you just because you hit us with a blizzard of stuff there. All of it really, really good, man. You're speaking our language. We cover those topics so often. And the number of healthy men who are who can choose not to work. I mean, when, when in world history have you ever been able to choose not to work as a healthy man? But you can choose not to work in our current society. You might have to change, based on all those stats, change it from the Center for Immigration Studies to the center of we're already a socialist country studies. Right. I mean, people have that misconception. There's really not, the extensive nature of America's welfare system is not that different than many Western European countries. I mean, the, the European countries differ, but that's one reason why if you have a relatively lax immigration system, which our legal system is mostly based on family relationships, not skills, and of course, illegal immigration it's not very selective at all. And so what the administration is doing by releasing so many people in the United States, that's the part I think the public still doesn't quite get. It's not that people, people are doing this in enormous numbers, slipping past the border patrol, but that's not mostly what's happening. They're being caught and then released, or they're presenting right. themselves right. at the border and being presented and being released under a variety of what I would argue is abuse of the law using parole and asylum and such. But the point is, um, that's what's happening. So if you had a wall that no one could ever get past between the ports of entry, it might not make that much difference. Right. At this I point see your point because, because yeah. being released. Right. Hey, we gotta we gotta take a break. I really enjoyed your time. I'm glad we could get you on. We're gonna talk to you again, Stephen Camarada with the Center for Immigration Studies. That was great stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, he was good. We got to have him on again when Joe's here. Love that stuff. So interesting. Looking at statistics from a number of different ways, which people rarely do. Anyway, uh, we got to introduce Katie Green to one of the worst Christmas songs we've been playing for years. I bet she hasn't heard this. Coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years 
and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The top selling toys this year are Barbie's Dreamhouse and the Barbie Convertible. Mm. Yeah. Also, uh, also not a surprise, the worst selling toy is Tickle Me Oppenheimer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Barbie's Convertible is a big toy this year so far. It's way more popular than Ken's exploding Tesla. Uh, but you will see, you never know. Hey, that's not fair. Um, so, Katie, we teased that we we're going to play what we think is the worst Christmas song of all time, but we don't have time. So we'll make that the One More Thing podcast. We'll surprise you with that. It's very entertaining. If you've never heard the One More Thing podcast, we'll look for it wherever you find podcasts. Uh, the The regular show is uh, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Then after the show, we cut another thing every day called One More Thing. It's a whole different segment. And as Joe always points out, sometimes there's swears. <laughs> Here's your host for final thoughts, me, while Joe is in Europe somewhere. He was, he called in from Vienna, Austria today. Who knows where he'll call in from tomorrow. Let's get a final thought from our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael? So are you just starting your shopping today? Jack. Pretty close to it, yeah. Pretty close. Yeah, I got the two biggest gifts for the kids already, but oh, everything else Okay, I'm just scrambling for now, and uh, yeah. So it's... there's going to be a lot of uh, convenience store jerky being given away, <laughs> won't there? <laughs> yeah, whatever's left. Hey, socks! You need socks! Everybody needs socks, right? Nice big eight-pack of black dress socks. Uh, here's a final thought from newswoman Katie Green. I am so glad that I am not in your shoes and have to go to the mall today. Yeah. That, that is my silver lining for the afternoon. I am not Jack, and I'm not going to the mall. I wonder how busy it is. I mean, when it's busy, you usually can't even park there. you got to park like in a special lot across the street and take a shuttle across or something. But um, one big item I bought last week, they had a, I was afraid they'd not have none in stock. They had a lot in stock, and they said they're way down on sales this year. I don't know how true that is across different sectors, but a couple of things that I was that I purchased late that I thought, damn it, I am out of luck. Nope, easy to find. So it'll be interesting to see what the economic numbers are coming out of this Christmas season. Oh, my final thought. Do I have a final thought? I don't know what my final thought is. Oh, really enjoyed having Tim on the last couple of days. If you didn't hear any of that, grab the podcast stuff with Tim Sand for some really interesting discussions. we got some more good stuff planned tomorrow with some other fan favorites, so I hope you'll join us. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. 
If you heard us talking about something, um, it's probably at armstrongandgetty.com with some sort of link. That's an easy way to do it. Also got a store there. Too late to get it for Christmas probably, but, you know, late Christmas present never hurt anything. Always cool. Armstrongandgetty.com. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. Armstrong and Getty. L-I-G-B. Thank you, sir. Your time has expired. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. <laughs> People are singing these odd high voices, you know, like... I've refused to get the vaccine till there's equity. What is that voice? I just... uh, what voice? <laughs> I was, uh, thank you for calling. Am have I? a weary, weary Christmas. <laughs> we might. I'm Joe Biden, and I forgot this message. Thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.